This morning, I would love to kick us off with a question, all right? And so here's the question for you this morning. Can you remember the first time you did something great, or at least a time where you worked really hard for something? So I want, to t- I want you to take a moment right now and just think of that moment in your life where you did something great or you worked really, really hard at something. You're happy the way it turned out, all right? And I want to share one of those times in my life, all right? So first, I have to give you a confession, which is that I was not the greatest student in high school, all right? I'm not saying that you shouldn't be a great student. I'm just saying I was not the greatest student in high school. And uh, what happened is at first, uh, that was just the truth about me. Then I met Jesus and gave my life to Jesus kind of in the middle of high school. And then eventually in college, I learned that I should apply myself because Jesus wants us to be our best version of ourselves. But I was not that way in high school, okay? And so what happened was I found out kind of at the end of my junior year that I wanted to be a youth pastor. And so I was on that track. And so uh, what that meant for my senior year is I really didn't care about it academically, right? I really didn't. And I was thinking, man, how can I just have a blast with my senior year? And uh, I had gotten like all my classes I needed to get out of the way early. And uh, basically I had like three or four required classes left. So I had like the easiest senior year of all time, and it was a lot of fun, and I'm not kidding you, I had back-to-back art classes one uh, trimester. Um, I had not taken art in school before, but it was my senior year, and so I was like, you know what, I'm going to take it, it's going to be different, it's going to be a new experience, and so uh, I took art class, and, and in one of my art classes, we would do kind of a major project about every, every month. And what happened is we did this project where you take like a picture of something you love and you put this grid on it and then you kind of copy it. And it's, it's like a way that nobody who's an artist can become an artist. But you just have to like, you have to take a lot of time and you have to just pay a lot of attention to the detail. And I was having so much fun with this. I went to uh, my teacher and I was like, okay, I'm having a lot of fun with this. I'm taking a lot of time on this will you let me not do the next month's project and just work on this for the whole time? Because I really want it to look good. And so after convincing, I think she was just really happy that I was into art. And so uh, she agreed to it. And so for two months, I worked on this photo. And then I was done. And uh, this is the photo right here, all right? Um, if you don't know anything, when I was in high school, I... Uh, I liked this college basketball player. His name was Steph Curry, all right? And so this was a picture I drew of him. He went to Davidson College. And uh, if you're an artist, you're probably like, yeah, I've seen better. That's okay. But for me, I wasn't an artist. And so this was like a huge accomplishment for me. And, And just, I remember that feeling of my teacher just like being proud that I had done this. I remember the, the, the proudness that I felt, just all the work, all the sweat that I had put into this to make this happen, and I framed it and I kept it because I, it's just a cool memory to me of a time where I achieved something really, really great, something that was kind of new for me too, which was really exciting. And maybe you guys can go to that moment in your life, whatever it was. Maybe for some of you, you were like an athlete and you made a team or you made that shot. Maybe you were a part of drama or music and you got that part or you got that chair or whatever it was. Maybe you, uh, this is for my students, maybe you just beat that really hard video game that's really hard to beat, right? Maybe you're a builder or you're into crafts and, and you, you made something that was amazing. Maybe it was academics and you got into that school you thought maybe you couldn't get into or, or maybe you just got that report card that you know you put so much hard work into. 
For many people, I imagine it's your jobs, maybe the first time you got a job, or that job you really wanted, or that money that you finally made, or the amount that you saved up that you're like, how did I not spend my money? And others, church, maybe. Maybe you got really involved in church, and you wanted a leadership position, and you got there somehow. Whatever it is, we all have these moments in life where we have this thing called ambition, right? Where we have this thing called striving to be great, where we want greatness, and we want to be appreciated, and we want to be proud of what we're doing, and we want to see people take pride in us, and we want to be great at things, and there's nothing wrong with that in and of itself. But there's this tension, all right? Because, because there's this, this guy named Jesus, right? And when Jesus comes into our lives, he does things a little bit differently, and if you learn the basic teachings of Jesus, you learn about love and about sacrifice and about selflessness, and you start to read these things, and you may think about the ambition you have in your life, the things you want to do great, the things you want to be proud of, and it messes you up a little bit because you're like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do, right? When, am I supposed to be great? Am I supposed to be humble? How am I supposed to deal with this? And so we ask this question, how do we deal with the idea of ambition, of competition, of aggressiveness when it comes to Christianity? How do we deal with this, right? Because it's a part of who we are, and we want to be good at things, and we receive this other teaching. How, how do we make sense of all of this, right? And so uh, here's some ways we typically deal with it, and I'm going to say that all of these ways are not the right way to handle it, but this is the way, this kind of the spectrum in how we deal with this issue, right? And so the first one is that we become pushovers, right? Some of us feel so much guilt that we reject any ambition that's in us. We just, maybe we're afraid of who we might become if we're successful, or maybe we're afraid that we won't do what Jesus taught, and so we feel so guilty, we just kind of, we push those feelings out the door. And maybe there's something that God might be calling you in your life that is a great thing that he wants you to do, but sometimes we miss it because we're just so afraid, so we just kind of reject it altogether. The second thing we do, this is the area I like to live in a lot, is we become awkward human beings, and this is what I mean. We, we don't know how to handle this. We want to do great things, but we don't know how to, you know, do this teaching that Jesus lived life the way Jesus has taught us. And so we become really awkward. This is what I mean. Somebody gives you a compliment. They're like, hey, great job singing uh, worship today. And you're like, yeah, I messed up like five times. Yeah, I can point them out if you want to know where they were at, right? We, we don't know how to handle this compliment, so we just like we just give this information that's like unrelated, like I cheated on a test in the third grade, right? Or we just, we don't know how to handle it. So we just like, we push all those feelings away. We're afraid. We don't know what to do. And I think there's some truth in there too, that sometimes maybe we don't believe good things about ourselves. And so sometimes there's like a fishing too, for I need more than just a thank you. I need more. I need more assurance. And so sometimes we live in that area. Number three, as we start to go to the other side of the coin, sometimes we master the art of the humble brag. If you don't know what the humble brag is, this is where you've learned what to say, but maybe it hasn't really changed in your heart, right? So, and we know humans, we can pick up on things. We know when people, we know where their hearts are at. And so sometimes we hear the person who talks about God in their life and, you know, always has the right thing to say, but we can tell when it's not genuine from the heart, right? The humble brag. Well, you know, God has just made me a fantastic person, and uh, I'm very blessed for that, right? Some, that, this is how some of us deal with it, right? And number four, we believe that God has just chosen us to be great, 
right? We just, we just believe that we are really God's gift to the earth and that, that he has chosen us for this. We really like some of those OT passages, Old Testament, right, that talk about how God's like chosen. We're like, I'm, I'm one of the chosen, right? That's who we are. And we may live all over the spectrum. And some of, some of you, if you're like me, you may have been all over all four of these at different times in your life. But the great thing for us today is that the Bible is full of people who go through these same things that we do. And who have these same questions and who have these same struggles. And so, in fact, we're going to look at the people who follow Jesus, the people who were closest with Jesus today. And we're going to see how they kind of fell into category number four. And we're going to see what Jesus has to say about this, all right? And so one of the great things that we have the privilege of today is we have Bibles, right? And we have the New Testament, which is kind of all these things brought together, accounts of Jesus' life, letters written from different people. And it's all here so that we can continue on the story of who Jesus is. And today we're going to look at a gospel, which is just an account of Jesus' life. And it's written by this guy named Luke. Luke was a disciple of Paul who was a part of the early church movement who wrote letters in the Bible. And Luke writes the gospel of Luke and he writes the book of Acts. And in the gospel of Luke, we find out that he's really like an investigator, all right? And so I just want to share with you the opening to this gospel to this account of Jesus' life, because it's going to tell us about where Luke's mind is at, all right? And so this is what it says in the opening of Luke. It says, many people have set out to write accounts about the events that they have been fulfilled among us. They use the eyewitness reports circulating among us from the early disciples, having carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I have also decided to write a careful account for you, most honorable Theophilus so that you can be certain of the truth of everything you were taught, right? And he's talking about Jesus. He's talking about all these people are writing about Jesus. He's like, I'm going to find the truth, and I'm going to give it to you. And so Luke goes on, and he writes about Jesus' life. And towards the end of Jesus' life, uh, the time comes where there would be a festival in the city of Jerusalem for all the Jewish people, right? And so customary, Jesus takes his disciples, and they head off to Jerusalem, And when they get there, our story starts with Jesus making three predictions, all right? The first prediction is not that impressive, right? Uh, One of his disciples just says, where do you you want us to make, where do you want us to make the meal that we're going to have? And Jesus is like, here, you're going to go to this place, there's going to be a sign, and that's the place where you guys are going to prepare the meal. And it happens, and that's what happens. And then the second thing that he predicts is his death, because For a lot of them, this is just their normal tradition, but for Jesus, he knows this is a special time because he knows that in this time he is going and he's going to give up his life. And so while they go to have this meal where they remember what God has done in the past, how God has rescued them, rescued them from slavery in their history, Jesus knows that this is going to be a whole new time and that he's going to change the meaning about how he is going to rescue us And that's what we call the Last Supper. When we just had communion and talked about the bread and the cup, this is what Jesus is doing when he predicts his death. Saying, from now on, this is going to be about how I have rescued you. And the third thing is that he predicts a traitor. Right? So many of us have have heard the the name Judas. Even if we're not a Christian, we probably heard the name Judas. Uh, But they don't know that at this part of the story. And so Jesus predicts that someone will betray him. And it is after this prediction that our conversation today starts. 
And so here's what happens in Luke chapter 22, starting in verse 23. It says, the disciples began to ask each other which of them would ever do such a thing, right? Which of them would betray Jesus? And then they began to argue among themselves about who would be the greatest among them. Whoa, that changed really fast, right? They started off like, well, I wouldn't do it. It's probably this guy. I wouldn't do it. And then all of a sudden now, they've totally flipped this conversation. They're like, let me list you the reasons why I wouldn't do it, because I'm clearly Jesus' best disciple, right? These guys have ambitions. These guys really believe that God is going to use them to do something great And they are kind of fighting over who is the greatest among them. Jesus told them, in this world, the kings and great men lord it over their people. Yet they are called friends of the people. But among you, it will be different. Those who are the greatest among you should take the lowest rank. And the leader should be like a servant. Who is more important, the one who sits at the table or the one who serves? The one who sits at the table, of course, but not here, for I am among you as one who serves. This scene is is just so funny to me. The disciples getting heated up talking about who is the greatest among them. Right in the middle of what we call communion today, right? They They start arguing who is the greatest among them. And Jesus has three responses that we see to the disciples' dispute. This is, what, this is what his reaction is to this question, to how to deal with these kind of people. The first reaction is he has a joke, right? I love the fact that Jesus can be funny, right? It might be a little bit dry, but this is what Jesus has to say. He says that people with power disguise themselves as friends, yet, yet, they, yet they use their power for personal gain, right? He uses this, this phrase, friends of the people, Yours might say benefactor. It was the idea that these, these kings, right, they, they had corrupt ways, a lot of them, but they would find someone in their court or they would publish this term benefactor. And so everybody would think that, man, aren't these great people leading us? And they would, some, in some cases, even worship the king. And Jesus saying, these, these are who people say are their friends when really they're looking out for themselves. How many examples in our world today do we have business people politicians, even religious people who use their power for selfish gain, but yet thousands and millions of people flock to them. Jesus points out what an irony that the world likes to use their power often for self-gain. The second thing that Jesus gives is a command. What Jesus basically says is that my people with power will have the attitude as someone with no power. And I want to make a distinction here. Jesus is not saying that their accomplishments will be the same. In fact, later he's going to tell the disciples that they will do great things. It's really a heart issue. He's telling them that when his people have power, they're going to have the attitude of someone with no power. They are going to re-rank society, right? Because that society had a lot of ways they rank people. Age, social status, wealth right? It doesn't sound that different than today, right? The way they just kind of order people. And Jesus said, that's not the way that my church is going to behave. That's not the way that the the people who follow me are going to behave. We're going to re-rank things. It reminded me of a time in high school, I got to go to like a a leadership conference. They sent a bunch of us, uh, ASB, athletes, student body, whatever, whatever other things are. And they sent us to this retreat and we got to see these speakers talk about leadership. 
And I'll never forget this one speaker who, who talked about leadership. He was a, a basketball coach at some, some college around here in the Portland area. And he was saying, hey, when, when, we, when I got here, we needed to have a winning culture. We needed to switch things. Notice he's talking about winning, doing something, accomplishing something great. He said, we had to switch things. And it started by re-ranking things. We had to re-rank. And so he said, you know who sweeps our floors before practice? He said, the seniors. You know who gets the ball bag out before practice? He said, the seniors, right? He's like, because we had to re-rank. And what we learned is, is that if we could get our top people serving, guess how much uh, better that made our weakest link? Guess how much better our freshmen were because when they came in, somebody was caring about them, serving them, then they got their act together, and then they were so much farther along when they were seniors. Now, I don't know about you, but my experience was not that way. And in fact, maybe you, maybe you remember the feeling of, oh, I'm a senior now. I know, I know how I get to treat the freshmen now, right? Oh, I had to do that with when I was a freshman. Now it's only fair that they have to, right? We like to get power because then we can use it for our own selfish gain. Whether it's for appreciation or control or whatever the reason may be. Jesus said, not my people. Not the people who follow me. We're going to re-rank things. And I want my people who have power to consider themselves like someone with no power. The last thing that Jesus does is, is he gives his personal testimony. He says, you know why my people will serve too? Because, because I serve. Because I have come to serve. And Jesus gives this analogy of those sitting at a table and those serving. And in the ancient world, people would have thought of a house slave, right? And that's, that's who Jesus compares himself to. He says, I came to serve. And, and I have to think that Jesus' disciples would have thought of the time that he washed their feet. If you've never heard this story, there's, there's a story about Jesus where the disciples come after traveling, and in the ancient world, your feet would get super dirty, and so usually a house slave would be there to wash your feet as you came into the house to make sure you were clean, and this is what Jesus does for his followers. He gets down and he washes their feet. He makes himself low, and so he asks the same of his followers, and he asks the same of us. And so when we become Christians and, and we don't maybe know how to handle our ambition and, and our goals and what we want to do great, the bottom line is that God wants to transform your ambition into servanthood. He wants you to become a real friend of the people. It's not to say that you can't do great things. I think God wants to use all your guys' gifts and talents to do great things. In fact, he tells the disciples after this, they're going to do great things. But he wants to take your ambition and he wants to turn it into servanthood. At Mountain View, we believe that God wants to change lives. We believe he wants to change your life. I believe he wants to change my life. And we want to be in the business of life change happening. And we want to create all the space we can for God to do a work in your life. And so... And so when I get to speak, I, I, think of, I try and think with God and my experience in my life and, and what are these things when we think about messages that, that actually become hands-on in our life, right? Where can we see these things actually start to help God move and work in our heart? And so I just have what I'm calling three principles for life change in regards to servanthood. And my hope is that you'll just take these things and wrestle with these things because that's what I've done with them. And, and maybe God might do something in your life And so the first one is just this, sacrifice what you've earned for what you can give. Sacrifice what you've earned for what you can give. This is kind of back to that story I told about that leadership conference. Man, and and this is the way I like to say it kind of briefly, don't be above things, right? 
Don't be above setting up chairs. Don't be above whatever it is at your work is the intern's job or the grunt work. Or don't be above in your family doing the thing that, you know, you want to make the kids do or, or whatever it is. Just don't be above things. Sacrifice whatever you've earned with your life experience, with your time, with your money, whatever it is. Sacrifice what you've earned for what you can give. Number two, suppress what you think for what you can learn. This is where I love the analogy of, in the ancient world, of a house slave, right? Because who cared about what the, the house slave had to say in the ancient world? Nobody would probably be my guess, right? Nobody. And so suppress what you think for what you could learn, right? Sometimes when we have a servant's attitude, we might have things on our minds that we like. It might be our political bent or our theological bent or our life philosophy or it might be what we've learned with age and experience and we just feel like we need to, you know, give the world that or that we're not going to serve so-and-so because they don't, they don't fit into one of those categories in our life. And the truth is, Jesus is like, who cares? Just serve. Put what you think on the back burner. Maybe there's another time, another day, another conversation for you to get into that. But suppress what you think so that you might learn. You might learn from the people you're serving. And more likely, you might learn from God as he does something in your heart as you begin to serve people. The third thing is live with a so what attitude. And I'm going to have to explain this because it doesn't make sense, right? Live with a so what attitude. Uh, there was this person in my life who I've been realizing recently had a lot of influence in my life, but, I, but it, it just kind of blindly happened, right? Just blindly happened because they were in my life for a long time. And this person I called Coach Dunn. Uh, coach Dunn was a basketball coach out here at Warner Pacific when my, when my dad went there, and he became a family friend to us. And uh, now he lives in Chicago, and he's a basketball coach at uh, Moody Bible College. Uh, but Coach Dunn, he would, he would travel all over the country and do these Christian uh, basketball camps as I was growing up. And every year he would do two in Oregon, and I would go both weeks, and he would give us a super good deal because he just had that kind of heart, and he had that kind of relationship with our family. And uh, he taught basketball, and he taught character. And I'm like, man, Dan, you really snuck some things in there I'm learning over the years. And uh, I, I went to that camp forever, and then I coached at that camp, and I've probably been there like 12 or more years. And he really left an imprint on my life. And I'll never forget the first day, he would always gather the whole camp, and he would give his opening spiel, and he would give us, like, what's going on for the week, and how we're going to work on basketball, how we're going to work on character. And then he had this moment where he would line up at the free throw line, and all of us were sitting out here. And the basket would be behind him, and he'd take the ball in his hand, and he'd say something that I can't remember what he would say, and then he'd just throw it behind his head. And I'm not kidding you, like, every year except one year, he swished it on the first try. Just whoosh. And, and his message to us was basically, so what? I'm, go I'm good at something. If you practice something enough, you can make a shot behind your head. It's like this man's life was so focused on Jesus that it was like, so what? I'm good at something. Right? We're all good at stuff. And somebody's always better, right? And so if our life is focused on Jesus, what we start to realize is that what, we, what, what we're good at, we don't need to be ashamed about it, but we also don't need to get caught up in it because what God is doing is so much more amazing than a backwards shot from the free throw line, right? So what? Can we live life with that attitude? The last thing that I'd like to share with you guys today 
is just kind of how my story has come together when I started asking this question, right? For you, you're going to have to figure out your formula and exactly how it works for you. But this, this is what God has done in my life when thinking about this question. The first thing is, he's taught me to live with open hands. I got to hear a great message about this idea of living with open hands at this conference I went to this year. And the idea was basically, God, you are in control of the success in my life. My job is to show up and to work hard. You're in control of the success, right? So I'm a youth pastor. The question I have to say is, God, if you want me to, to lead a thousand students, am I willing to do it? If you want me to lead 50, am I willing to do that? And living with open hands says, God, I'm just going to try hard. Whatever you decide to give me, I will do my best with it. Just live with open hands. So much of our success is what God decides to give to us. And are we okay with either of it? Are we ready to go when it's bigger, when it's small? The second thing is just gratitude. I told you I was that awkward person, and so I was like, oh, I messed up, and I don't know how to take this compliment you're trying to give me. And so what I learned is just gratitude, just, just thank you, right? Just sincerity, just genuineness. I've learned to just be like, thank, thank you. And if it goes further than that, I just extend that gratitude to God and to others because the truth is I've been so fortunate to have people in my life who invested in me and a God that has changed my life. And then the third thing is what we already talked about. So what? And this is, this is my hope is that we will embrace this idea. Because what I've learned is that the key is not to minimize your compliments. It's not to tone down your dreams and goals. It's not to deflect everywhere. It's not to do anything outwardly. But the truth is to realize here, I'm not that big of a deal. That's when it shifts, when our life becomes about Jesus. And we realize, yeah, I can do something good. I can. I'm good at it. But I've got a God who's so much greater. When we really get that in here, that's when things start to change. So God wants to transform your ambition into servanthood. He wants you to become a real friend to people because God cares about people. And the greatest news that we have is that God is not asking us to do something that he didn't do himself. Because Jesus had it all. And he gave up everything to live with humans. And he lived as a servant and he gave up his life and he died a death on a cross so that his perfect life could become our perfect life. And so when God sees you and God sees me, he sees Jesus. You guys pray with me. God, thank you so much for people like the disciples, for the stories we get to read in the Bible of people who are just like us and ask the same questions and struggle with the same things and have ridiculous arguments like we do. And thank you for Jesus who, who loves us and forgives us and guides us and challenges us as we figure out how to become the people he's calling us to be. My prayer for our church and myself today is that you will work on our hearts, our attitudes this week, whether it's at work or home, um, church, whatever the place is where it's easiest to serve and hardest to serve and hardest to put other people first, that you will do a work in our hearts and in our minds. God, we're just so thankful for Jesus. Help us this week as we try and take one step forward. It's in your name we pray.